Amen. All right, turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. It says this, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you, one of a city, and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Now, this was literally fulfilled in the time of Ezra, the time of Nehemiah. We're going to see that. And uh, he says this, verse 15, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now, as an aside, I'm not going to preach on pastors, but the word pastors in your Bible nine times, eight of them are in Jeremiah. If you want to know what a, Je- a pastor is, you go to Jeremiah to understand what a pastor is. But the very when Jeremiah mentions this, he says it in the same context Paul does. Pastor is a gift. I will give you pastors according to my own heart. Okay? He gave some apostles. In other words, if you go back and look at the churches that were established in the book of Acts, some got apostles. He gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That's how our churches are organized today. God gives us pastors and teachers. That's something God gives according to his own heart. Okay? He gives those pastors. You say, wow, pastors and gift. Well, so is a wife, all right? You know, he that obtaineth a wife obtaineth a good thing, all right? It's just one of those gracious things that God does in life, okay? And, uh, but going on a little bit, verse 16 is what I really wanted to get to. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall it be done any more. One of the differences with the temple of Nehemiah and Ezra is that there's no ark of the covenant in it. It's not there. And... It's one of those things, God just made them get along without that. Now, if you go back and you study when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the temple, when Cyrus releases all that stuff, it gives lists of all the stuff they send. Can you imagine anything more valuable than the Ark of the Covenant? Cherubs made out of gold, a mercy seat made out of gold, one wrought piece, these cherubs over it. There'd be nothing of more value than that, and it's not listed. Do you think any of Nebuchadnezzar's men would just dare steal it? Not in a million years would they have dared steal that, hide it from Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't there. Okay? And it's not there when Cyrus sends everything back. And we're going to look at why, okay, why that ark was not there. Now, go with me, if you would to the book of Revelation, Revelation 11. Revelation 11, we're going to go to the very last verse, verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. There were lightnings and and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. That's where the ark is. The ark's in heaven. Now, when I was being trained as a preacher, my pastor used to say that you'll find seven raptures of things in the Bible and seven raptures of people. Okay? 
For example, Enoch was raptured, he was taken up. Elijah was raptured, he was taken up. Jesus Christ was raptured, he was taken up, all right? And you'll find that. This is one of the raptures of things. The ark was taken to heaven. And we're going to study that a little bit because it'll help you to understand a little bit of our rapture when that happens. Now, go with me to 2 Chronicles 7, and I think it's fascinating because two pastors or two men, evangelists, who were very influential in the Black Creek Baptist Church, preached on this particular verse in the last week. Brother McVeigh glanced over it in his, uh, in his preaching, talking about the glory of the Lord. And Brother Cliff Taylor went into it at some, uh, at some length in our services last week. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, excuse me, 2 Chronicles. I always mix those up, 2 Chronicles 7. So if you were turning to 2 Corinthians, you were an idiot following me, all right? So 2 Chronicles 7. And this deals with the anointing uh, and the uh, introduction and of the temple itself, okay? The dedication of the temple. Verse 1, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. By the way, this is the temple's Pentecost. This is the same thing that happens to the church on the day of Pentecost. They're gathered together. Jesus Christ has put them together. Interesting, in the upper room, Solomon's upper room, okay? And they put them together, and what happens? Fire comes upon each of their heads, and the glory of God, the Holy Ghost, comes and fills them, okay? Then, verse 2, and the priest could not enter into the house. Isn't it interesting? No more law. Okay, they're not under the law. They're not under that priesthood anymore after Acts chapter 2, all right? They can't enter into this, not where this glory of God is, all right? <clears throat> and the priest could not enter into the, uh, into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. So what you're seeing here is when Solomon had this temple built, and it's fascinating because, again, David spent his whole lifetime accumulating everything that would be necessary to build this temple. Not only that, he says he gave that temple by pattern that was shown him by the Spirit and by words, all right? God distinctly showed David, this is how this is to be built. Put that out there, and then they put this temple together with all these things, unbelievable amounts of talents of gold and silver and precious stones and and. Everything is carved such in that temple that it says there was never heard the sound of a hammer uh, in there because all the stones are carved before they even get there, all right? And they're brought together and, and quietly put together. And, and uh, if Josephus, now whether or not he's right or not, I don't know, but Josephus said they actually use gold as mortar in between each of the uh, stones, which is why the Romans were so meticulous to tear, it, uh, tear all that down, Okay which would make a lot of sense. But regardless of that, they've put this temple together, and that temple is a picture to us of the house of God, the church itself, okay? It's not the church, and I understand that. And I understand that after this day when the, you know, the glory was there, the priest did enter in. I'm not trying to make an exact equivalent or anything of that sort. But I want you to understand and to see that what God did at the day of Pentecost was to fill the church just as this has happened here. Why? 
because Jesus Christ came along and with everything the Father gave him, built the church, all right? And put those things together and put them all together and established that. Now, with that in mind, go with me to Ezekiel chapter 10. One of the things that's going to happen to this temple is Nebuchadnezzar's men are going to go in and destroy it. Now, if you think back to, for example, when the Ark of the Covenant got taken out to the Philistines and the Philistines captured it, what happened when the Philistines looked at it? God sent plagues all over that land, all right? Just uh, their god Dagon fell down, and, and, and they realized this is of God. And, and you know, and, and uh, then they send the ark back, and they're looking for a sign. So, you know, those of you who understand husbandry at all, or at least have raised uh, animals and watched them nurse, they go ahead and they put that ark on, on a cart, and they take milch kine. In other words, they take some cows that are currently, their udders are swollen with milk and that have calves. And they send the calves in one direction, and then watch which way will those kind go. Now, by nature, which way would those cows go? They're going to follow those calves, but they don't. They go straight to Israel. And they, and they realize, oh, my goodness, okay, this definitely was of God. What happens to the men who look inside of that? All right? Thousands and thousands of them died, okay, for looking inside of that. Something they weren't allowed to do. When you realize that, you understand... There's a lot of controversy on this. I'm going to give you my opinion on it. And, uh, you know, the old saying, you got to take that $1.69 and you can get coffee at McDonald's, all right? But the thing is, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Now, kingdom of God is defined. You don't get a choice with that, all right? Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, all right? That's defined for us. We don't get a choice to define it any way we want. But kingdom of heaven... And in the millennium they combine. They have a lot of attributes that are just the same. But if you think of this, that there are times on this earth when God made the rules of heaven to be the rules on earth. The ark was one of them, wasn't it? Okay? When they looked inside of it, what happened? They died. Why? Because it's the rules of heaven on something earthly. Moses, take your shoes off. The place where you stand is holy ground. Okay, no holy ground like that today, okay, unless my wife just washed the floor or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but the thing is, what happened? God took the rules of heaven and put it on that thing on earth. Israel had that during their time. The land of Israel was not like other land. When Naaman the Syrian got cleansed of his leprosy, he actually asked, can I take a couple of mules burden worth of this earth? And take it back with me and kneel on it and pray. And the, the, you know, the, uh, the prophet didn't say, oh, you don't understand God. He said, no, you take that. You kneel on that. Watch, kingdom of heaven. God took the rules of heaven and put it on something on this earth, okay? 
I grew up as a Roman Catholic, and we used to think, and we really did. You know, if you've ever been to a Catholic funeral or something like that, or some of you used to be Catholic, you know, you'd go in there and you'd genuflect before you'd get in your pew because you believed that that, what was called the monstrance up there, had one of those wafers up there that they believed really was Jesus, okay? And so they believed that the rules of heaven are in this church, and we've got to treat it that way. Now, I don't believe that. Okay, I don't believe anything like that. Um, no place in this church where you can't walk or anything else. So of course, always kid, men don't go in the ladies' room, all right? But uh, there you might die, all right? But, <laughs> but other than that, kingdom of heaven isn't there with one exception. There's one thing that you have physically that you could die if you handle it wrong. It's your body, okay? Your body, where God took your body, and took the rules of heaven and put it on your body. That's the temple of the Holy Ghost. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. Okay. So, other than that, we live in a kingdom of God world where, where the kingdom of God is within you. Okay. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Now, before God would allow Nebuchadnezzar to sack that temple, He's going to take the glory out of it. Before Nebuchadnezzar is allowed to just walk into any place in there that he wants, God's going to take the glory out of that temple. What we're going to look at is a rapture. Okay? And let's go, well, oh, let's just go to verse 8. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 8. And there appeared in the cherubims the form of a man's hand under the wing. Now, I've seen people try to draw cherubims and everything else. I try to sit there and visualize it. I don't get a grip. All right? I just take God's word for it. They're pretty whacked out things, right, these cherubim, all right? But, and when I look, behold, the four wheels by the cherubims, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by another cherub, and their appearance of the wheels was as the color of a barrel stone. And as for their appearance, they forehead the likenesses if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. And when they went, they went upon their four sides. They turned not when they went, but to the place where their head looked, they followed it and turned not as they went. Now, this I do get. If you've ever used an Etch-a-Sketch, you can't make circles with an Etch-a-Sketch. You can only go in straight lines. That's how cherub moved. They have four faces. This one takes over, it walks this way. This one takes over, it walks that way. This one walk, takes over, it walks this way. That's what it says. They had their four faces, whichever face moved. If you study UFO sightings, you will find some where what they watched went in 90-degree patterns. Okay? What is that? For whatever reason, people saw a cherubim. Okay? Not all UFO sightings. I'm not trying to get into wacky conspiracy things. But if you follow them and watch them, you will find some where that thing in, in the skies went in 90-degree angles everywhere it went, right? And you'll see some written that way. All right. And it goes on, and it says this, uh, verse 12, And the whole body in their hands and their wings and their wheels and full of eyes round about, even the wheels had forehead. That's what mothers follow that. they got eyes all around their head, all right? Somehow, you know, if you're a kid, they just seem to manage to see everything you did, you know, or whatever. But 13, and for the wheels it was cried unto them in my hearing, O wheel, and everyone had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, the second the face of a man, the third the face of a lion, the fourth the face of an eagle. 
Paul describes that in Romans 1.28. He talks about an image, and then he gives four likenesses to that image, okay? Um, verse 15, and the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river Chebar. And when the cherubims went, the wheels went by them. And when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. When they stood, these stood. When they were lifted up, these lifted up themselves also, for the spirit of the living creature was in them. Now look at verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. There's that glory that came in 2 Chronicles 7. That glory that filled the temple. The cherubims have come and the glory is going to leave with them. That's a rapture of the glory of God out of the temple. Okay. By the way, when the rapture of the church happens, it's going to be the reverse of Acts chapter 2. Okay? By the way, where was the glory of God in the temple? What was it in? It was in the ark. O God that dwelleth between the cherubims. Okay? He spoke to them. In fact, where that ark was, it was called the oracles. Okay? Why isn't there any uh, ark when Nebuchadnezzar gets there? Because when he took the glory, the vessel that the glory was in went with it. That's why that, that's why that vessel, that ark is in heaven now. He took that glory up and the vessel that it was in went with it. And that's why God tells him, by the way, when you build that new, uh, when you build that new temple... You're not going to be talking about the ark. It's not going to be there, okay? That ark's in heaven now because there came a time when God filled all that with glory. There came a time when he raptured that glory out of there and never again does anyone see the ark. When Nebuchadnezzar's men come in and all the inventories and everything else, they never find that ark, okay? Indiana Jones isn't going to find it either, all right? All right. Verse 9, and the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And they went out and the wheels all were also with them. And every one of the door of the east of the gate and the glory of God of Israel was over and above them. Okay. In other words, they're gone. It's interesting because in Psalm 18 where it depicts the spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where the father's bringing his spirit back to him. It says, yea, he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness. His secret place, his pavilion round about him, where dark waters and thick clouds of the skies, all right? There's something about those cherubim and God and him doing those kind of works with that. Now, go with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul becomes a lot easier to understand when you understand this. That his job was to take the rest of Scripture and to make you understand it. You, the Gentile, who didn't grow up with the, that Old Testament, didn't grow up under that law. His job was to take you by the hand and carry you through it. That's why one of the things is that when a man becomes proficient in Scripture, he can become proficient in the Apostle Paul with the Apostle Paul taking him through the rest of those scriptures and explaining them to them. 
And we're going to see that right off the bat. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Two different things, okay? We know that when Jesus Christ comes back the next time, he's not going to land on the earth. He's just going to come in the clouds, and he's going to call people up. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive shall be caught up together with them in the air. But there's also the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's when he rides on a horse, and all every eye shall see him, and, and, and those that pierced him will see him, and the whole world will see and, and uh, hide from him and beg the rocks to fall on him. Two different things. And he says, verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word that by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. He's explaining to you what Jesus Christ explained in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark. And he explained very carefully that people will tell you, here is Christ, there is Christ. Come out to the wilderness. Christ is here. Christ is there. And Christ said, no. When you hear that, don't believe that. Okay? You know, when he comes, he's going to come and it's going to split the skies. It's going to be the lightning from the east to the west. Paul isn't coming up with something new here. He's explaining to you what Jesus said. Don't let him tell you the day of Christ is at hand. That's the same term Jesus says. Here is Christ. There is Christ. Okay? The day of Christ is that day that Jesus talked about when the lightning from the east to the west. That's the day of Christ, okay? Oliver Green and everyone's changed this to the day of the Lord. It's not the day of the Lord. It's the day of Christ. There's a movement amongst independent King James Bible-believing Baptists nowadays to come into what we call a pre uh, a pre-wrath rapture. In other words, they believe the church will go into the tribulation... And then just before the wrath starts, God will rapture them out. And they get it by mixing all this up right here. And unfortunately, too many pastors have helped them by changing words in here. So they go, oh, you're changing words in the King James Bible because it doesn't say what you believe. All right. Well, the King James Bible, I say what it says. Therefore, I believe what it says. All right. Distinguishing and understanding, first of all, that when he's talking about this, he's talking about the same thing Jesus Christ was talking about. Jesus Christ said, when you hear that, don't be troubled by it. So Paul tells you the same thing. Don't be troubled by it when you hear it, okay? He's not coming up with a new doctrine. He's just telling you the old doctrine, all right? The old one that's been around. Then he goes on and he says this. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, okay? What day is he talking about? He's talking about that day of Christ. That day won't come because there come a falling away first. Except there come, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, that's where they get that pre-wrath thing from. They get that idea, well, they take that day of Christ as being the rapture, okay? So they say, therefore... The rapture can't happen till that man of sin is revealed. That's where they get it from. I know some men who are actually fairly good men. Okay? They're, they're not jerks in any way, shape, or form, run a fairly good church or whatever else. But by reading that day of Christ as being the rapture, they say, therefore, well, we'll see the Antichrist come. We will not see the Antichrist come. Okay? The Antichrist has been here before. The son of perdition was here once before. Okay? 
The son of perdition is Judas Iscariot. He's a man who Jesus said, I have not I chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil, all right? Uh, when he died, Peter said he went to his own place, all right? No, no one else has ever died, gone to their own place, all right? So that son of perdition will come back. And uh, when you study in the book of Job, they talk about the wicked man, the evil man, the wicked man. That's, that's really typology of, it's, it's giving you doctrine about the uh, Antichrist, okay? When he comes, he's going to have huge calps of fat upon him, and he's uh, uh, a huge man. Uh, it's, uh, my mentor said it's because they construct a body for him, okay? They don't give him the body of Judas is carried over again. They construct a body for him and give him that body. He believed he'd have six fingers and six toes, all right, like the giants did and such. But regardless of that, he's someone who, when he comes, says, was once, is not, and has come again, all right? That's who he is, all right? And, uh, you know, uh, John R. Rice, for example, used to teach that Mussolini was the uh, Antichrist. And Mussolini wouldn't make a pimple on the Antichrist, uh, you know, uh, nether sections, all right? Uh, different people have tried to pick different... They thought Napoleon was the Antichrist. Uh, you know, different ones. Uh, I remember one time preaching outside of a sodomite bar, and, and the sodomites came out. Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666. He's the Antichrist. And I thought, wow, even the sodomites are looking for it, you know. And, it, you know, what everybody wants to do is they want to pick out somebody and, and, uh, and put all these things... And keep in mind that over the years, different people will come along who will portray different things that the Antichrist will do, all right? The mystery of iniquity doth already work, okay? It's already out there. It's already doing its thing. It's already uh, showing itself in different places, preparing people that uh, most of you wouldn't remember this. Some of you older would remember Rosemary's Baby in the 1960s. It was a film all about... Um, uh, you know, a woman who yields herself to the devil and, and, and raises up the Antichrist uh, by doing that or whatever. And um, Psalm 109 says the same thing. Psalm 109 talks about Judas Iscariot, and it says, let the sin of his mother never be forgotten. <laughs> okay. Pretty interesting. When a man is a devil, what was the sin of his mother? All right. Whoops. I'm not sure. Oh, my water. Thank God it didn't break. I'd have had a baby. <laughs> All right. I like it when I get new crowds because I get to milk my old jokes over again. People don't realize how long-suffering a wife is. She hears the jokes at home. She hears them in the home church. She hears them when he travels. All right. All right. Going on a little bit more, it says this. That son of man, that son of perdition, he's going to be revealed, the man of sin. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or his worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what he does is he goes straight in, and this is what Jesus warned about when you see that uh, abomination of desolation. And when you see him, and uh, when you see that, flee, all right? Because what's he do? He goes right in to that most holy place, 
And by the way, that temple that they're building over in Israel, the Antichrist builds that. That's not built by Jesus Christ, okay? That's the one he goes into. Jesus Christ in Zechariah, I think it's Zechariah 14, 6, says, then the branch will come and he'll build the temple that you see Ezekiel's temple. That's the temple that they'll build there. That one that you see the Jews going to great length to build, the Antichrist will deceive them with that temple, okay? That won't be a temple that, that God wants at all. All right. Now it says this, verse 5, Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. But just like anything else, people get stirring and begin to think, well, the day of Christ is at hand, and Jesus warned them, Paul warned them, but that's never enough, all right? And then he says, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. There's something withholding the son of perdition from being revealed in his time. And Paul's about to reveal, he says, now you know. Something's stopping that from happening, okay? And he says this, Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. What's the mystery of godliness? God manifest in the flesh. What's the mystery of iniquity? One of you is a devil, okay? The devil himself manifest in the flesh standing there. He mocks everything that God does. Jesus Christ rides in on a white horse. What's the devil ride in on? A white horse, Revelation chapter 6, all right? Jesus Christ said, I am the light. So how's the devil appear? An angel of light. Okay, everything that Jesus Christ does, the devil will come along and mimic. Just it's fascinating to put it together. You you can just sit there within probably 15, 20 minutes. You'll come up to 10 to 20 things and see where the devil does that very same thing. Okay, uh, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So men turn to an image. All right. And you go on and on and on over uh, what they what goes on and how the devil mimics those things. So he's called. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, real quickly, go with me to uh, 2 Timothy 2. And look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. That seal is what seals you when you get saved. That, another place tells you it's the Spirit of God that seals you. Here it's going to describe that seal in more detail. Those Old Testament kings, when they made a law, they would take and give their ring, and that ring would have a seal on it, and they would seal that. And it would be sealed, and no one would dare touch that, do anything to it. He's done it. Pilate, for example, sealed that tomb, all right, so no one dared open it. God dared open it, but no one else dared open it, all right? Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. What is the seal? The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the seal. When a person gets saved, they're sealed, and that seal says... I'm now going to let you depart from iniquity. You might not, but I'm going to let you do it. Okay? Now, I remember how many times as a lost person I used to try to depart from iniquity. I'd get rid of one and another one would come. All right? I was like Briar Rabbit fighting the, uh, you know, the tar baby. Push here and that hand goes in and that one, whatever else. 
But then along came the Spirit of God and sealed me, and he began to let me depart from iniquity, okay? He who now letteth will let. How long? Until he's taken out of the way. Until he's taken up, okay? When's that going to happen? That's going to be the same thing that happened in Ezekiel 10, where the Lord comes down, and his glory that came in Acts chapter 2, he takes it back. What will happen to the vessels that his glory's in? They'll go with him. They'll all go with him, okay? Every one of them will go with him, okay? That's every one of them, okay? Until he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. So what is that letting, okay? It's that seal. It's the Holy Ghost coming down, corporately taking the church together. I've heard people object to that. Well, will the Holy Ghost be there in the tribulation? Yes, he will be there in the tribulation. The apostles received the Holy Ghost in John chapter 20, but then received him corporately as the church in Acts chapter 2. One is an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship. Think of when you first got the Internet in your home and you plugged it into your computer. And I'm not talking about that, you know, when you dialed up or whatever else. But, you know, when they first, you know, you got a high-speed modem came in and you plugged it in directly to your computer. It had a one-on-one -on -one relationship, that computer to the Internet, okay? That was the apostles getting the Holy Ghost. They're now connected to all the things of God. Then the day came when you got a router, okay? And suddenly your whole home was opened up to the Internet. And somebody on their tablet over here, now for Christmases, nobody has to talk to each other. We would all just sit there and look at all what we're doing at home, but we'll be near each other while we do it, okay? I, I have an uncle, and uh, he stands there at the door with a box. <laughs> As each of the grandkids and everybody comes in, the phones just go in the box. <laughs> He's not going to put up with that at Christmas, all right? But, but nevertheless, what happens is that Internet signal is shared by everybody now. A good hacker can, you know, check what's on your phone and all that kind of stuff and go through it. It's all connected together. John chapter 20, the Holy Ghost came one-on-one. -on -one. Acts chapter 2, God made it a browser, all right? It, a router, and it's all together now. Everybody's sharing that link together. Then God takes that link up to heaven with him, and every vessel it's in goes with him. Okay? That's what your rapture is. The rapture is the undoing of Acts chapter 2. It's just the opposite of it, just turning that inside out. It's the same thing you saw acted out in Solomon's day when the glory of God filled that temple. The priest couldn't enter in. That's just a picture of the church. And then we saw that again in Ezekiel 10, where the cherubim came and lifted the glory of God up. And God said, you won't have the ark there anymore, okay? The ark seen in heaven. Wasn't there when Nebuchadnezzar was there. When that rapture happens, God forbid that you be there afterwards. God forbid, okay? God forbid. Real quickly, we'll just wrap this up in 2 Thessalonians. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That, those last turns are taken out of the way. That's your rapture. And then shall that wicked be revealed. He cannot be revealed when the church is here. He cannot be revealed while the church is here. If you think the Antichrist is here now, he ain't the Antichrist. That's proof right there. He cannot be revealed while the church is here. He cannot be revealed while the church is here. 
He cannot be revealed while the church is here. He comes down immediately at the disappearance of the church. Okay? Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's one of the darkest verses in a King James Bible. All power. That's what the devil's been lusting for, for all these times, lusting for all power. And finally the Lord says, have it. Martin Luther understood that. He said, and one little word shall fell him. One little word, all right? What's God reserved to himself? Holiness. 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 That's the one thing the devil cannot duplicate. He cannot, he's religious, but he's not holy. He can never be holy, okay? That's why the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus Christ who was revealed to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead according to the spirit of holiness. We know that the Antichrist will have a resurrection, but it won't be holy. That's the one thing he can't do. He cannot be holy. Jesus Christ could not do anything but be holy. Okay? Holy in all that he does. I remember when I used to try to be a Christian. But I couldn't be holy. I couldn't be holy. Okay, it didn't work. When God came to me, I remember try, times trying to be unclean. God didn't like it. Because <laughs> he'd become and he inhabited this body. He came in here, made it a temple of the Holy Ghost. And he showed me, in no uncertain terms, why he didn't like that kind of thing. All right, that we're not going to do that anymore. You're going to learn to be holy one way or another. All right, it's going to happen. Verse 10, with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they might believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In the book of Ezekiel 14, it says, if the prophet be deceived... I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. You think back to the book of Kings, 1 Kings, very last chapter. What, how do they deceive Ahab into going to war? How do they deceive Jehoshaphat going to war? A spirit said, I'll go down, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Who gave him permission? God did. Go on down do it. If you don't want the truth, God's got to lie for you. Okay? God will craft the lie. And he'll send some devil to see to it that you believe it. It says so. Okay? The mark of salvation is holiness. And it's hard to see because God puts it in earthen vessels. And when a person gets saved, I've, all, I've never seen any two people get saved who got the same victory at the same time. Never seen it. They'll get some victory over something that's just marvelous to them. And then be plagued with something that somebody else got a victory out of. 
okay? I use cigarette smoking as an example. I've known people get saved and that was it, boop, it's gone. It's over, it's done, they never smoke another one. Dale Morey, I think it took two to three years for him to get rid of his cigarettes, okay? Then you find another person, gets saved, never cusses again. I cussed for about a year after I got saved, okay? And uh, it was shameful, not proud of that at all. It was an awful thing in my life, terrible thing. But the difference was there was now someone holy living inside of me, okay? Someone holy, and he did not like that, okay? When my wife moved into the house, things had to change. She didn't like dirty socks on the pillow. She's a legalist, all right? I don't understand that kind of thing, all right? Soup with a spoon and I mean, just bizarre stuff, legalized stuff, all right? But it changed, all right? And slowly she began to mold me into that image or whatever else. When God moved in, holiness began to take a hold upon me, okay? Holiness, without which no man shall see God. Brother Seeley.